The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. This is the place where we meet regularly to encourage ourselves in the presence of God and to learn how to walk with God from His Holy Word. I always put in the reminder that these podcasts are designed to help Christians deepen their walk with God because walking with God is necessary for being fruitful, uh, for being a consistent practicing Christian, uh, for giving an effective witness for our Lord Jesus Christ, and at the end of the day, just simply living as an effective human being. And uh, we want to be resourceful and helpful to those of our brothers and sisters that we come across, and, and even to those that may not share our like precious faith. There are no shortcuts to a life of devotion. Our Lord Jesus says uh, it's a narrow way. It can be a difficult path. It's a glorious path, but it's certainly not without challenge. And uh, I try as much as possible and as often as possible to not highlight the negatives or the challenges to a holy life. Uh, and to walking with God, but rather to try to identify what's needful uh, for victorious Christian living. And while doing so, alert you know, my brothers and sisters of the potential pitfalls along the way. And today is one of those days. Um, as is often the case, I, you might find in my uh, podcast, I don't use a lot of non-biblical examples for illustration purposes because I'm convinced that the men and women who are uh, identified by the Spirit of God to put in this sacred book, uh, that these are the most uh, viable proofs that the walk of faith does work, that it is possible to live in a fallen cosmos and live effectively as a Christian because others, our predecessors and the prophets and Holy men and women who walked with God did so, and we have before us their challenges, their successes, and in some cases, their failures. And so today we're going to ask ourselves, of course, the, the key question, why? Why did, uh, in this case, Jehoshaphat, that's going to be our person of the day, why did he succeed? Why did he encounter challenges that caused him to stumble along the way and extract the elements that were germane to his success? And we can duplicate that. And what are the pitfalls that we must avoid? And so the question or the topic for today is that about convictions. Convictions. I'm sure you've heard that word bantered around quite a bit. People having convictions about a lot of subject matter in, in today's 
uh, media space and social space. There are people having convictions about a host of topics. And uh, there are just two things I really want to extract about convictions. Convictions have uh, a pushing quality and a pulling quality. Okay, Convictions drive us very often to what is right and good if guided by the scriptures. This is what I consider to be the, the pushing aspect of convictions. Uh, it moves us towards specific behaviors that reinforce and align with those convictions. In other words, they protect us from negative spiritual influences. They propel us to pursue a walk with God. And they compel us to be vocal in our proclamation of the good news, as well as our experience uh, in our lives as Christians. Convictions highlight what is noble about our character. On the other hand, convictions have a sort of pulling effect. And that is, they can move us in a direction that blinds us to vital information that, if considered would be good. It would be for our good as long as we embrace it. And conversely, if we ignore that information, it will be to our detriment. So let's, let's sort of jump right in there, uh, considering the life of uh, King Jehoshaphat. And we, we can find this in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 17. And, and we're going to sort of do a, a, a 36,000 foot view. Now from, uh, we ask, what, what are convictions protecting us from? Well, there are external influences. There are philosophies that could be detrimental, as was the case in the church at Colossae. They were impacted by the philosophies of the day. There are views that might negatively impact our relationships, both with people and with God. And this king, in the early part of chapter 17 of Second Chronicles, he saw the need to protect people from the influences of idol worship. Now, to the average person, this is of no consequence. However, to the believing Israelites, it was a high-risk venture if they were to stray into apostasy because it would mean, number one, they would lose the protection of Jehovah. They would also lose the bounty that he could provide to their crops and health and to their seed. They would lose protections from the uh, external forces, uh, you know, armies of other nations, etc. And as a result, it was needful, and I emphasize it was needful, to keep that influence at bay and risk losing more than they intended if they did not keep that influence at bay. It was clear to uh, King Jehoshaphat that Israel, the northern kingdom, posed a political and spiritual risk. And therefore, the cities that were closer to the border of the northern kingdom, those cities needed to be protected, needed to be fortified against any preemptive military attack. And the cities needed to be protected from external influences that embraced Baal worship. And so King Jehoshaphat did the right thing. 
And he had as his example his father's rule, his Asa. And the actions to cleanse Judah and Benjamin from all polytheistic idol worship influence. And so in this case, his convictions drove him to do what was in the best interest of the people he served. And so it tells us that politically, we, just as he did politically, I should say, we ought to, uh, in our modern day cultures, elect people that share our values not only economically, but morally and spiritually, if at all possible. And, and the scriptures tells us that he strengthened himself against Israel, and he placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim. And these are the same cities that his father had taken. His convictions about idol worship and the combative nature of the northern tribes were compelling reasons to fortify the borders. But most importantly, as with Jehoshaphat, so too with us. Our convictions tells us more about the people who will position themselves as an adversary to what we believe. And so we must be mindful that their convictions differ from our convictions. And that disparity means that there will never be alignment. More to come on that point later on when we see the pulling effect of convictions. And this has been a grave mistake that many in the faith have made. They assume that because they have strong convictions about a particular doctrine or practice or perspective, that this strength becomes a barrier from external influence. And that's not always the case. Convictions have the power, secondly, to propel. It gives the believer an objective with which to strive after. Something that is bigger than you and me. Something that is able to propel us uh, there is a song, uh, I'm, I'm not a singer, so I'm not going to sing it. But uh, the songwriter in, in his poetry says, I'm, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And, and, and the, the, the writer to this song was really looking beyond himself, and so faith in God and a pursuit of a walk with God has very practical benefits. Jehoshaphat had the benefit of examining David's life. These kings kept records of their walk with God, their experiences during their rule, and so forth, both the successes and the failures. And Jehoshaphat had a clear backdrop of the benefit of walking with God. He could see this in the life of Abraham and the patriarchs right through to the predecessor kings, including his father. Convictions gives us fuel for pursuing that walk with God. Why? Because we have proof that there are 
tangible benefits, not necessarily health and wealth, but we look at these men and they enjoyed, they were able to touch the invisible God, so to speak. We're also told in the first three verses of Second uh, Chronicles 17, especially the third verse, that Jehovah was with him because he walked in the first ways of his father, David. So what made David extraordinary? What made David become the model for successive kings to pattern their life after? What does, quote-unquote, seeking after Jehovah mean? And so if we were to go back, to, we're not going to do it, but if we were to go back to uh, um, 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, within the first 12 verses, we are told that, that David was anointed uh, by oil, by, by Samuel, and uh, at that point, he was indwelt by the Spirit of God. And this is perhaps the most important fact, because this was the driving power and influence of his life, the indwelling Holy Spirit of the triune God. Okay, It becomes an example for us. And additionally, he was bold against any threat to, uh, to the armies of, of Jehovah. And we find this in 1 Samuel 17, 31 to 36 verse. And this is where he defeated Goliath. And David was also conscious of the fact that he and his nation, the nation of Israel, were God's representatives on earth. And this is what he stated in, in chapter 17, the 44th to the 47th verse. David proclaimed to Goliath and to the forces of darkness as they amassed on the other side of the ravine that they, that is their enemies, represented by the Philistines, the opposing army, that they trusted in sword, spear, and javelin. But he, David, has come against them in Jehovah's name. And so he explained publicly that Jehovah's method for doing battle is not which, with uh, tangible things such as the spear and the javelin, but in his own name. And this is why, my beloved, that it's important for us as Christians to understand why we say so much about the name of Jesus. And sadly, it's become commonplace, like, uh, you know, uh, part of the phraseology at the end of a prayer, you know, in the name of Jesus. It's more than that. It is what that name represents in heaven and on earth and before the Godhead. And we are associated in that name because we are in Christ. And we also see that David continued, even in his trials, when, when Saul was after him, fleeing from him. But he did this while clinging to Jehovah and his promises. Jehovah gave him a promise that he would, have a, he would establish his house, his name, and God would keep his promises. And so this model of this godly man was embraced by King Jehoshaphat. And the scripture says the first ways of David. So before his fall with Bathsheba, how did this man live? And that is what Jehoshaphat patterned his life after. He walked in the first ways of his father, David. And for that reason, Jehovah was with him. And we learned in our last podcast that when we seek after Jehovah and to the extent that we seek after the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. To the extent that we invest ourselves, he invests himself with us. A 10% effort will yield a 10% result. <laughs> we can have as much of God in, 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 his, in his presence in our lives as we are willing to pursue him. This was the same truth that was communicated to King Asa, his father, when Azariah, being filled with the Spirit of God, met King Asa after he defeated Zira, the Ethiopian. And Azariah said, Jehovah is with you while you are with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He did not resort to the Baals, that is Jehoshaphat. He sought Jehovah and his commandments. And so our convictions about what it means to walk with God are the very things that causes us to strive beyond what we believe is capable when it comes to living a holy life. Now, my friends, we live in a culture where there are minimal and sometimes there are no standards. And therefore, we might not see a clear indication that there's anyone out there living in the fear of God. And for that reason... It is necessary for us to pursue this matter of a holy life. Why? Because we become light in the cosmos and salt in the society. We strive to help men to see that there are standards which brings blessing, contentment, and peace. But this must be proclaimed more than by lip, but primarily by precept and example. Live it out. We simply must determine that if 90% of the culture considers a pursuit of God from the Judeo-Christian vantage point, that this is an unnecessary way to live one's life, will we still be convinced that this is the most uh, important element of our lives? And if I discard all other convictions, is this the one conviction worthy of the sacrifice of everything, the pursuit of God, the pursuit of the holy? And lastly, and, and, and more important, God sanctions wholesome convictions. If those convictions align, <clears throat> excuse me, with the pursuit of himself, the God of heaven, his presence, we are given assurances in the scriptures that if we seek after him with the whole heart, with our whole hearts, we'll find him. We'll find him. And we are told in 2 Chronicles 7, 3, 7, uh, chapter 17, verse 3, that, that Jehovah was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David. The sum of the matter is convictions have benefits, intrinsic benefits, practical benefits, spiritual 
benefits. People may shore up their borders and separate themselves from others who might differ from them, whether for good or for ill. But in this case, the protections were for good. And when it comes to a knowledge of God, most people don't want it bad enough. They want wealth, and wealth is a good thing. They want health, and health is a good thing. And they want the accoutrements of, of, of the spiritual life and the peace of mind and so forth and so on. But at the end of the day, the primary pursuit is for the Christian to seek to walk with God. And God has promised us <clears throat> that if we invest the minimum expenditure to find him, we will yield the minimum result. But if we expend a maximum effort, the results of the presence of God will be well worth it. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. And as was mentioned again in our last podcast, that if you want the knowledge of the living God, it is going to be yours to the extent that you are willing to invest yourself. And King Jehoshaphat, prior to his aligning himself with King Ahab of the Northern Kingdom, and we'll learn about that shortly, it was clear that he wanted Jehovah's approval of his decisions, his convictions, his choices that he made to protect the people from the moral ills of the northern tribes. And we see that God blessed him and enlarged him. And then thirdly, on the positive side, convictions have the power to, to uh, proclaim. Okay, This king, King Jehoshaphat, did what his predecessors did not do, which is to be immersed in the law of Jehovah. And he did something that I thought was forward thinking for his day, and we certainly should take note of it, those of you who are in positions of leadership uh, among the body of believers scattered throughout the world. He enlisted and engaged able men to teach the people because in doing so, he extends his influence and causes his leadership to be more effective because the people whom he serves would ultimately share his values, his convictions. And this is a, a, a second critical point. Key men not only took the law of Jehovah with them, but they taught the law of Jehovah throughout all Judah. We find this in 2 Chronicles 17.9. And they did so in the cities where the people were congregated and the countryside. And we are told that they went through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. And King Hezekiah, I'm sorry, um, uh, King Jehoshaphat uh, identified men who shared his values. This is important for anyone that's a leader, male or female. <laughs> okay? If you are the, the pastor of a church or a, a governing body of, of, uh, of elders, to groom leaders from among the people, among the congregation that shares those values and convictions, to teach and preach and encourage believers to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so form these friendships, build these friendships, 
and share commonality of convictions. Now we're going to turn the corner a bit and uh, look at the underside of convictions. And you would think, well, there's no negative to convictions. Well, there could be. We're going to find out shortly. Convictions have what I consider to be a sort of gravitational pull to the one who embraces strong convictions. And, and people are attracted to those who have convictions and can articulate them and live them out and become a living example. You know, the, the convictions are binary in their effect. And that when we have them, it, it's clear where we stand. There's no ambiguity. And others can benefit by a life that is focused. And oftentimes, if it results in a closer walk with God, even more so that others are blessed. And then if they embrace those, those same convictions, that, just, that, that, that spreads the circle of influence and, and, and the moving of the Spirit of God in our lives. And as a congregation, similarly, uh, we become more effective. And uh, when we identify with those that share those values and enlist the help of those that embrace those values, propagating a message becomes less of an ordeal. Why? Because people see that you're living it out. There's something about your life that stands out, that shines out. And that's important. However, as I mentioned earlier, that convictions have a pulling effect on us to the extent that they can blind us to vital information that if we considered this information, it would have been for our good. But conversely, if we ignore this information, it will be to our detriment. And unfortunately, as has been the experience in our culture as well as theirs, there are many present and past centuries who began a holy, devoted walk with God in sincerity and truth. As their ministries grew in numbers and impact, and as money and influence and fame began to grow, and as the crowds increased, then the message and the convictions and the protections and the propulsion began to wane and change. And these leaders became less careful about protecting the flock that started with them and that depended on their ministry. They did less to protect the flock from erroneous doctrines. They watered down the message to make it mainstream and palatable. And they began to steer away from the apostolic teaching, the distinctives that, that made Christians, you know, as they were in Antioch, they were first called Christians in Antioch because they lived out what they believed in sincerity and truth. And so often, as is the case today in our culture, many who are now leading mega ministries are not careful to be clear on biblical teachings and on biblical teachings on moral issues. They were not, or they are not careful to preserve the propulsion towards God 
because they begin to advocate less and less the criticality of a holy life, without which, we are told in Hebrews, no man will see God. Without holiness, you won't see God. You will not have the experience of God in your life if your values and your convictions do not align with God's values and God's convictions. And they began to move off course. They changed the authenticity of their message and they began to proclaim a more palatable, popular, acceptable message in order to keep the crowds and the financial benefits. And the person that they become was far different than the person they used to be. This was Jehoshaphat. I ask you, is this you? In 2 Chronicles 18, verses 1 to 3, this is sort of a, a sad testimony of how his protection was minimized by one simple statement. And we are told that Jehoshaphat had riches. I mean, God really blessed this man and honor in abundance. And then the scripture says in the first verse of chapter 18, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. And as soon as he made that league, his convictions, propulsion, and its power diminished. He was now obligated, as we would see later in that chapter, to be in a war against an enemy that was not his enemy, but the enemy of an evil man, Ahab. And so often for the believer, we find ourselves enmeshed in a circumstance because we have allied ourselves, we have joined ourselves, we have yoked ourselves with people or relationships that our values were not embraced. And now we're going to find how difficult it was even to pray. The circumstance gets worse in that with the passage of time, Ahab, even we are told, held a feast for Jehoshaphat and his men to induce them to join him in battle against his enemy, against Ahab's enemy. And this alliance now becomes a sad testimony to a man whose convictions were strong in the beginning so that he could protect his people from this very evil king who was an idolater. And please note, my friends, that Evil men are not in danger of losing their convictions. It is good men that are in danger of losing their convictions. Now you'll say, well, evil men have convictions. Yeah, but they have nothing to lose. They're already at the lowest point. But the man who, like salmon, are attempting to, to swim upstream against the current of, the, of the, 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 the moral decay in our day, that's the man who has something to lose because if they stop swimming, they'll go downstream where all the dead fish are. And so when a believer allies themselves with another who doesn't share their convictions, it is the believer that loses. And sometimes it might be something as simply as, as simple as, as uh, uh, deciding to marry someone who does not share a like precious faith and love for our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that'll never work. Light and darkness cannot abide together. And what happens to the believer is that they lose their distinctive character, they lose a closer walk with God, and they risk, above all else, not having answers to prayer. Fellowship with the living God is diminished, and that is the ultimate loss of the believer. Ahab went so far as to say, you and I, that is he and Jehoshaphat, are equal, and your people are as my people. But this was untrue, because Jehovah made a distinction between Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah and Benjamin in the south. And if God makes the distinction between light and darkness and calls the believer light, then it behooves us to maintain that distinction in our life, in our speech, in our believing, in our praying, in all that represents our character. And so this king, his propulsion literally went in the wrong direction. And I'm going to say that what happens to many believers is that our convictions are so strong that we are of the opinion we could afford to bend the rules a little bit because we are, if you will, more magnanimous than God. Or well, I can afford to make a league with Ahab because my convictions are strong. No, my friends, your convictions about the protections, about the propulsions, about the propagation of the message of who and what you believe is so critical that that must be protected at all costs. And so now, they're about to go to battle and they sought divine intervention, a word from Jehovah. This is what this king wanted while being allied with a man who Jehovah intended end his life because of his evils. Now look at that. Look at, look at, the, look at, look at the contrast and, and the spiritual conflict. I am walking with God. I ally myself with a man who hates the God that I've allied myself to and my convictions and my love and my devotion. And now I'm going to pray to God that this king that I'm allied to, that he become uh, victorious in battle when God from heaven intended to kill this king in that very battle. How can God answer my prayer? What should God do? So now we come to what I consider to be the most dangerous circumstance in the life of a spiritual man or woman. Anyone indwelt by the Spirit of God. And this is the question, who answers prayer? Who answers prayer? If you were to ask that question in the populace today, people will say, well, you know, I, I believe in such and such a God, and people will tell you about the gods they believe in, and that, that God answers prayer. But do they really? And whose prayers will be answered? What is the manner of life of the man or woman that God answers prayers for? Who answers prayer? And whose prayers will be answered? The answer to prayer, the answer to a, a, a request to, to the living God tells more about the quality and holiness of our lives, our pursuit of God, the relationship we're seeking to uh, establish. There is nothing more 
important for the believer than the joy of answered prayer. The fact that the living God of heaven, whom no man has seen, based on the word of God and the mandate to how we should live, we can bend our knee and hearts and make our petitions before him. And he says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Everyone that asks receives. Who is that Message to anyone, everyone, or a specific everyone and a specific anyone. Please know, my friends, that we we live in a multicultural society where a person is free to believe anything they want about the nature of God. And that's a great blessing. And nothing, or they could choose to believe nothing about the nature of God. And that is the one, one of the blessings I love about Western culture and democracy the freedom of religion, the freedom of being able to have religious beliefs. However, the challenge is articulating the Judeo-Christian perspective in a polytheistic society. The Bible is clear in this instance, in 2 Chronicles, that Ahab had 400 prophets at his disposal to call on Baal to answer his prayers. And in this case, should he go to war against Ramoth Gilead? And they prophesied in unison he will be successful. And we conclude that if 400 prophets are saying, go to war, you're going to be successful. Well, they can't all be wrong. But there is a key fact to wrestle with, and that is this. The God they served cannot foresee the future, nor do those gods have power to deliver and to respond on behalf of their devotees. And that was the problem with Baal. This is the moral dilemma for Jehoshaphat, as he allied himself with a man who did not share his spiritual beliefs, nor his relationship with Jehovah, and it is clearly evident that in that circumstance, there was no commonality in what both men believed about the nature of God. Verse 6 tells us that Jehoshaphat asked this question, is there not a prophet of Jehovah besides that we might inquire of him? How crazy is this? This man has allied himself with an idol worshiper, a Baal worshiper, and all the evils that spring from that life. In fact, you can read about uh, Ahab's life, Ahab and Jezebel, they were the worst of the worst. <laughs> and here he is asking this man, can we pray to Jehovah? You know, it, do you have one of his prophets here? Of course not. Why would he? He has 400 men who serve Baal. <laughs> Listen to the response of Ahab. Ahab says, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of Jehovah, but I hate him. For he prophesies no good concerning me, but always evil. I hate him. And many times in our culture, this is what happens to the Christian. Because we are identifying the evils in our, in our society, it appears that we are hateful. We're always, you know, there's always a rainy day. We're always finding fault. We're always raining on someone's uh, parade, so to speak. And then people hate us because it's like, you don't have anything good to say. But in reality... This one prophet was trying to tell this evil king, what you're doing is wrong. 
And so this apostate king has literally displayed his heart before Jehoshaphat, who should have known right at that point, this is a bad idea. (laughs) This is a bad idea. This apostate king not only does not call upon Jehovah, but does not have a relationship with Jehovah and only wants a message that aligns with his personal values and not the reverse. That is, he doesn't want to align himself with the values of the living God, with the values of a holy God. And he hates the very man that tells him otherwise. This one prophet is the representation of Jehovah on the earth, the prophet Micah. And if someone hates what you love with respect to your relationship with God, there can never be a healthy spiritual alliance. It's impossible. But the circumstance gets worse. And Micah gives an extraordinary extraordinary revelation of a conversation between God and the spirit beings that were before his throne. And Jehovah asked this in verses 18 to 22. This is just, this is fascinating. Who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And there came forth a spirit and stood before Jehovah and said, I will entice him. And Jehovah said to him, well, with what? And he said, I will go forth and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you shall entice him and succeed. Go forth and do so. So one of the key points of this dialogue in heaven is that it took one spirit, one, I tell you, to deceive 400 men and make them give one message in unison in order for one man to fall. And here's the takeaway. Because a message is popular, or just because the message is touted by many that we might admire in our society doesn't mean that the message is authentic and approved of God. We are told to study to show ourselves approved of God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If it does not align with the biblical, traditional, apostolic teachings, as well as that of our Lord Jesus Christ, if the message contradicts the basic moral guidelines of scripture, common sense, and the leading of the Spirit of God, we need to ask ourselves about the authenticity of the messenger and the message. Is it holy? Is it from God? Does it it propagate holy living such that we would be heard of God? Does it align with both the Old and New uh, Testament covenant teachings concerning spirituality, fellowship with God, moral, clean living? And so this decision to fight the wars of an evil man and ally himself with an evil man almost cost Jehoshaphat his life, and it resulted in a rebuke upon his return from that military campaign. We are told in 2 Chronicles 19, first three verses, that upon his return, Hanani the seer went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the ungodly and love them that hate Jehovah? Therefore, wrath is upon you from Jehovah. God hated what this man did, even though his convictions initially were clear and crisp and in line with God's values. And so, my friends, how can I have a valid, authentic message when I don't have the sanctioning and approval of the Spirit of God in terms of the choices I've made? Whose lifestyle may be contrary to the calling of the Christian? 
and expect that if my lifestyle is contrary to that calling, how can I have God's blessing? How can I be blessed if I'm not aligned with God's values? And so we, we, can, we can establish good convictions. It's a good thing to have strong biblical spiritual convictions because it takes us in a positive direction. But we need to be mindful that while going in that direction, we are at risk because we might think ourselves to be exempt from the consequences of making bad decisions. And so my prayer today is that we all may be careful to be sensitive in our walk with God as he leads us, as we always say, beside still waters. This is the objective of our life and that is to align my convictions, my passions, my pursuit of God. That it aligns with the principles of his holy word. May God bless us as we seek to establish good, godly, holy convictions in the Lord Jesus' name. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.